Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. From KQED. I think I've abandoned intermittent fasting. Me too. As of like today. I had granola and peanut butter toast. I just feel like it's not doing anything for me. (laughs) This is Political Breakdown from KQED in San Francisco. I'm Scott Schaefer, and today is a birthday of sorts. It's day one of our daily version of Political Breakdown. So what is that daily version, and why are you doing it daily now anyway? Well, who better to talk that through with than my co-host for the weekly Thursday Political Breakdown, KQED politics correspondent, Marisa Lagos. Hey, Marisa. Hey, Scott. So 2018, we began Political Breakdown. Jerry Brown was the governor way back then. We sat down with him in his office. And, uh, you know, that was a time when we were still kind of getting used to Donald Trump as president and the, his style and some of the crazy things he did and said. And here we are uh, starting a daily show. And he's back. He is back. In a big way. is looking like the likely nominee. Uh, we have the Iowa caucuses just one week out, Scott. So good timing for us to get on the air um, and start really sort of hashing this all out on a daily basis. I think in a way that, you know, not to toot our own horns, but political breakdown is always really strong strove to do in its own way, and KQED does, which is to bring nuance, to bring thoughtfulness, to bring hard conversations and context. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember when you and I talked about the original political breakdown, it was, you said, you know, we get to have these really interesting conversations with people that other people aren't privy to. And the show is a little bit of that, bringing some of those people on, getting to know them, uh, getting to know what drives them, how they got to where they are, things they've overcome. But also in this election year, now that we have a daily show, we can go deeper on the issues, go deeper on talking with people who work in campaigns and strategists, get away from the horse race stuff. Right. Although talk to a pollster now and then. Sure. We're not going to ban them. Well, but we also need to give people the context of like, what what am I looking at when I look at a poll? And I think, again, and this is a, something you're going to hear me say all year, which is like, we're not just covering the horse race, we're covering the stakes. Why does all this matter? How can we bring that kind of understanding? Because let's be honest, you can go to any number of cable news channels or other news sources to find out the latest in one of these Trump cases or what Joe Biden said in his speech commemorating January 6th. But we want to be here to help you sort of unpack why it matters to you, to your daily life. And if you know, depending on how things look, you know, we're looking forward to this presidential election. I think it's important for people to know Either of these men could win and be president in yeah, a year, you a- know, absolutely. and that that is part of our job is to sort of under, you know, bring that understanding what are the to folks. Yeah. yeah, what what might that look like? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, doing the weekly show, we had a half an hour show uh, every week, and that was also a podcast, but it was the same half hour. This time around, we're going to be uh, having an eight minute segment like this, you know, all things considered, and then that'll become part of a longer twenty five minute or so podcast. So it gives us more real estate yeah. uh, every day to kind of stretch out 
out and, you know, just uh, go go a little deeper, give more context, uh, maybe have some more fun, <laughs> you know, and uh, and just kind of um, help people understand what's going on because there's so much. And I think that's important, Scott. We want to have some fun on this show. We know that the news can be so hard <laughs> to watch and listen to, um, but there's always moments of levity. There's always silver linings. And the truth is, you know, what we've always brought in political breakdown is the sort of humanity behind the politics. And we want to keep doing that. And, and you know, we're we're watching right now what's happening, like we said, in Iowa, where Nikki Haley is uh, finally, you know, not pulling all her punches against Trump. Yeah, kinda. she actually said, like, we can't afford the country won't survive another four years of all the Trump chaos. And, you know, this comes as she does seem to be getting a lot of momentum, questions of whether she can actually catch him. Uh, but, it, you know, she kind of joins what Liz Cheney has been saying, both in her book, uh, but also as part of the January 6th committee. She's now begging Republicans to please don't vote for Donald Trump. She obviously feels very strongly about it. Uh, and, you know, unfortunately, California, because we're so solid blue, we're not going to really play very much in the outcome of the presidential election. I mean, those, you know, 53, I think it is, or 55 uh, electoral votes are kind of done. Um, but there are a lot of congressional races throughout the state uh, that, you know, we, we're going to be covering as part of this. Yeah. And we are, I mean, I think it, it people, because we are so blue and because, you know, it, we do tend as a state to go Democratic in presidential elections, people think it doesn't matter. Well, guess what? We're on Super Tuesday and we carry with, you know, this state has a ton of Republican National Committee delegates. So if there's a world in which Nikki Haley does something crazy in Iowa or South Carolina and is looking good uh, headed into Super Tuesday, California could matter. And I do think that it's important for people in the state to know that, you know, when they head to the polls, they might have a say in not just who the president, you know, the presidential uh, nominee is, but then who the congressional nominees are and what the balance of power in Congress is come 2025. Yeah, exactly. And it's always interesting when you see the analysis of where the money, the donations come from. California is always at the top for the Republican nominee because there's so many people in California and there are a lot of wealthy Republicans and Democrats, but uh, and they do give a lot of money. Uh, and so, yeah, you're right. If Even if we our electoral votes may not be up for grabs, the money is and the momentum is. Uh, and yeah, like you said, it's and it's all about turnout, too. You know, we talk about issues and so on. It's like what and who, which candidates are going to motivate people to get out to vote? Yeah. And that, as we've seen, is going to be a challenge for Democrats. It seems like at this point, a lot of their sort of core base supporters of last cycles, um, you know, voters of color, younger voters are not very excited about Joe Biden. Um, but again, I think it's going to be worth watching whether some of these congressional candidates can get that energy up in specific, you know, parts of California. And the Senate candidates. The Senate candidates, and we haven't even mentioned, we have a rare open U.S. Senate seat. We have three members of Congress, Katie Porter, Adam Schiff, Barbara Lee, all Democrats vying for that seat. We have uh, a former uh, Los Angeles Dodger, Steve Garvey, on the Republican side, who, according to some recent polling, has been making some moves and, you know, could end up as one of the top two candidates in that race. Yeah, and I'm interested also, you know, Nancy Pelosi is no longer speaker, of course. Uh, she's still running for re-election. But how is Kamala Harris going to do on that ticket with Biden? I mean, I think... You know, the conventional wisdom is she's kind of not helpful. She's a weight. But on the other hand, she can speak to younger voters. She can speak to women and people of color, uh, some of the constituencies that are not so thrilled with Joe Biden. And I, I think, you know, you can't prejudge how these things are going to play out. And, you know, she also has... Uh, you know, a big personality and is, you know, in a room with her, you know, she can engage people. 
Absolutely. She's a great retail politician. I do want to mention you, you said Nancy Pelosi, you know, uh, her successor, uh, Kevin McCarthy, also Californian, stepped down at the beginning of this year, setting off a race for his seat. We're going to be watching that congressional race as well as many others. But that's one of those weird ones. Well, there'll be multiple elections to, you know, fill out the rest of his term um, and then see who actually, you know, gets that full term starting next year. And there was a big decision um by the Supreme Court here in California over the holidays saying that Vince Fong, Assemblyman, will be able to run for that seat. So keep an eye on him. He's looking like the favorite, I would say, in that race. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, this is really going to be a year of the rematch in a lot of ways, probably Biden and Trump, but also many of these congressional races that are really up for grabs in the Central Valley and the Inland Empire. You know, these are races that, by and large, Democrats lost in 2022, and they're up against the same now incumbents. Uh, and it's going to be interesting to see whether or not the uh, dynamic is different because of uh, the turnout. All right, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, two more members of the KQED politics team join us to dig deeper on some of these issues. It's Political Breakdown. Stick around. We'll be right back. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. You get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. And welcome back to Political Breakdown. Scott Schaefer here with Marisa Lagos. And there is a ton more to unpack about the year ahead in politics, or even the next few weeks in politics, for that matter. Here to chat with us are a couple of familiar voices from the KQED politics team, Guy Marzarati, who joins us from San Jose, and here with us in the studio right here in San Francisco, Joe Fitzgerald Rodriguez. Welcome, guys. Happy New Year. Hey, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Well, I want to begin with something that we want to avoid, <laughs> which is predictions. Uh, you know, Vox, the online news site, uh, had its predictions for 2024, and they're, they're kind of silly in a lot of ways, you know, but one of the things they're predicting uh, is that Trump might win the election in November. They give it a 55% chance. And I just wonder, like, you know, one of the things we want to do on this show, Guy, is to avoid the horse race stuff and and this kind of the silliness. But so how should people, how should journalists be thinking about the race, uh, you know, when we see things like that? Well, I think maybe too much uh, emphasis on the prediction itself and not the percentage uh, that follows it. Vox, I think, said they have a 55% confidence uh, that this will happen. I think any basketball fan out there, if you have a free throw shooter who's a 55% shooter, you're not taking that to the bank. So I think you look through their list, there's a lot of other things Vox is maybe more confident about. I'm not Personally, I'm not anti-prediction. I think the thing with predictions is you're going to look wrong a lot, uh, you know, the more you make. So, um, look, I think uh, it's something 
in their mind, maybe setting the table for 2024. We had a, a podcast in, in last year where we made our predictions for the new year. I'm sure we'll have uh, plenty of those that we'll be uh, regretting. <laughs> I think we burned and, that. And, and maybe some we're celebrating. So, yeah, you know, I think it's just kind of just to get the conversation going. Yeah. And, you know, we're also, uh, we'll be talking in a minute uh, about some of the local stuff, but there's, you know, there is a lot of handicapping uh, always on how strong is Mayor Breed here in San Francisco, for example. Um, she's going to have some competition. Uh, so, you know, the, this is why we have elections. You know, there's, a, there's an old saying in football that, uh, you know, when there's upsets, you know, that's why they play the game because, you know, the, the odds that don't always pan out. Well, and that voter sentiment that's driving things at a national level, the percentages we're talking about, those also echo down here at home in local races, too. There's a lot of uh, uh, sentiment for want to change, a lot of sentiment, uh, anger at the status quo of how things are right now. And that's as pertinent here locally as it is nationally. Can I just make the case against predictions over here? Please. Can I just be the hater? I predict you're going to anyway. You know, <laughs> well... Because I, I spent, you know, coming back from the holidays and if you tell anyone in your life you're a political reporter in this moment, they want to know who is going to win the presidential election <laughs> next year. Right. I mean, that is literally the cocktail party kind of like topic du jour. And I, I mean, I kind of say what Guy just said, which is, again, no, you know, love to Vox. Get your clickbait on. It's, it's fine. Right. There, there's no harm in it per se. But I think that what we have seen, especially in the last few years, is how much can change so quickly, right? And there is so much, and, and even take Trump and the 91 felony counts and that kind of weirdness out of this, just like what will the economy look like? What will be happening in the Middle East come next fall? How will, you know, the Biden administration handle any of the number of issues that are coming before it? I just feel like it's so early and it's so much, there's so much up in the air. And I, I just, I think it's kind of irresponsible. It's kind of malpractice. Yeah, absolutely. Let me give you the flip side of that, though. Given all the factors that you laid out that could change, I think we could all bet sitting here on January 8th that this would be a very close presidential election. Sure. I mean, we saw this in 2020, right? We had a once in a lifetime pandemic. We had once in a lifetime protests in the street. And ultimately, the 2020 election really closely resembled the 2016 election down to county by county returns. Right. So I almost feel like for all that could change, there's so much that's baked in considering, you know, the yeah. hardened partisanship of, of the country. Well, right yeah. Now. And on top of that, there who are the persuadable voters? Well, that's what I was going to say. Who are we talking about here? That's that's the conversation I was having with a lot of folks over the holidays is like, would anything change your mind? Who are your Well, voting not for? just that, but like, who is the who are the people that will decide this election? And let's be clear, it is really in the grand scheme of things, sort of a handful of voters in a handful of swing states in a handful of districts. And so to think that whatever you're experiencing is necessarily universal to those voters is like a little bit, I think, you know, a little egotistical. Yeah, for sure. I want to pivot to the Senate race because, uh, you know, we talked a little bit earlier about uh, the big picture on that. Uh, and, uh, you know, I know, uh, you know, Guy, you've been keeping a close eye on Steve Garvey. Uh, I don't know if that's because you're a sports fan or why, but... It's been hard to keep a close eye I on know, him. I know, he's been, uh, he's been uh, absent until recently, but, and yet there was, you know, I'm, my apologies, a poll uh, that did show that it's really a to total horse race. It's very tight. What do you think it's going to take for Steve Garvey to really consolidate Republicans and come in second? Well, I think the biggest thing that could happen is a Trump endorsement. I think that would seal it for him in the same way that it sealed, you know, John Cox's spot in the top two in 2018. 
Um, Does it also but, seal his coffin for the <laughs> November yeah. election? Well, I mean, I think <laughs> you'd have to, he'd have to make that calculation that that might already be kind of a you know a, a done deal uh, for November. It might as well be worth it to pursue an endorsement like that. Um, I don't know what that's probably a conversation his campaign is having at this point. I do think getting out there. I mean, he's spent most of the end of 2023 fundraising. Um, he's you know still doing that, but getting out there in front of voters. And that'll start really, I think, with the debates uh, kicking off towards the end of this month. Um, because, I mean, he really is unknown as a, as a public figure, certainly as a political figure. Um, and so I think defining himself a little bit more uh, for voters is what's going to have to happen over the course of the next month. But as I've said before, I think the, the math, the, his path is the math. Like there's a really clear direction for Steve Garvey to consolidate the whatever it is, 22, 23 percent of, of voters in California who are still registered Republican, who might be overrepresented in this primary, considering there is a, a presidential primary on that side that's a lot more competitive uh, than on the Democratic side. The path is there, um, but clearly a lot could change before voting starts in a month. Well, yeah, exactly. And I, and I wonder, you know, the issue environment does matter, especially when you're, you've, you're, you're basically here talking about Democratic voters and maybe some no-party preference voters. You've got these three Democrats, somewhat well-known, Adam Schiff, Katie Porter, Barbara Lee. And, you know, Barbara Lee's always been kind of running, you know, from behind. And yet, I wonder if the issue environment right now with the, the war and her brand being the sort of the anti-war candidate, somebody who was the only vote in Congress many years ago, uh, again, authorizing use of force in Afghanistan. Marisa, do you think, you know, this is, is this her moment to really, you know, take a stand and, and get, get a lot of attention, maybe some younger voters in particular? I mean, I think there's an opportunity there. I think whether or not Lee really fully sort of grasps it uh, remains to be seen. And, and I think we have to say, like, it's hard to do retail politics in California, period, because it's expensive. It's even harder when you're a member of Congress and you're basically tied to D.C. all the time. So, like, I noticed that she's doing things like, you know, on you know, on Zoom, a town hall with members of the squad and Bernie Sanders folks to try, sort of talk about this and to talk about her unique spot here. Um, but I do think that this is the challenge for all the Democrats is to kind of stand out, to, to make themselves known. Um, we saw just today Katie Porter come out with a kind of like plan for the Senate, uh, which includes her really doubling down on her anti-earmark um, policy. Mm. You know, she's one, uh, more, really one of the only members of Congress who has resisted going in and asking for specific um, fiscal earmarks for her district. She got a lot of pushback on that a few months ago. Um, and she had kind of said, well, I might be open to it as senator. Now she's actually proposing just doing away with those altogether, which it feels a little bit to me like she wants to have it both ways because... I, I don't think that's going to get through the Senate. Yeah, exactly. It's also kind of an insidery thing to think you're going to win over a lot of voters with that. But I want to I want to pivot uh, to more local stuff. Uh, Joe Fitz, we were alluding to uh, issues that resonate nationally that are also local issues, and certainly there is no issue uh, more top of mind. Well, a couple really: uh, homelessness, housing. But I'm thinking public safety uh, as well. That is something that has roiled uh, politics and and the public discussion in San Francisco. Um, Mayor Breed is up for re-election. She's kind of doubling down on a getting getting tough on crime thing with some a uh, couple of ballot measures. Like, where do you see her and the, the kind of case she's making for herself right now? 
Yeah, I definitely think the case that she has been making publicly is around, hey, you ain't seen nothing yet. She, her, her hands were, she, she has argued publicly, somewhat cuffed the last few years with uh, the Board of Supervisors and certain policies that she's only really been able to shake loose very recently. So the argument she's making to voters now is the things that you're saying, I see them too, and things are happening right now. There's a few things in flux that will, uh, including the ballot measures that you talked about, that we'll see if those can make an impact before November. And that may be the case for voters. Well, we could say maybe just a little bit about those ballot measures. Uh, One would require drug testing for people before they get certain public benefits. The other would require tougher, uh, higher standards and filling open positions in the San Francisco Police Department. Um, Is that the kind of thing that, uh, is that going to really distinguish her from the rest of the field? Well, that police measure could be something that really drives a lot of people towards her. She is really talking about letting police be able to do vehicle pursuits more aggressively, to expand surveillance. This is something a lot of communities, the Chinese community here in particular, has really asked for more surveillance. There's been the anti-Asian hate that uh, started in the pandemic, and that has driven a lot of Asian voter sentiment and of uh, Asian voters are a huge block here in San Francisco. I think it's a double-edged sword, though, for her, too. I mean, the, the reason we have a lot of the policies that that would overturn are because of really bad outcomes in police chases, right? Are because of civil liberties concerns that San Franciscans have historically had. And I think that, you know, because a lot of these things are a pendulum, I think the mayor is going to have to walk a fine line. And I will say this is where, like, the benefit of retail politics comes in. London Breed is no better, like, nowhere is she better than when she's, like, on a street corner in the Richmond talking to people and sort of just doing that sort of thing. She relies really heavily on her very compelling sort of personal narrative. And she's good. I mean, she's a real she's person. She, she, yeah, people like her, I think, a lot of times when they meet her in person. And so I think that that's one place where you see it's sort of the opposite of the U.S. Senate race. Like, her being out there in the community, glad-handing, kind of, you know, kissing babies, like, that is where And I think it's going to be incumbent on her, you know, opponents who are not very well known to kind of make the case that, oh, well, even if you saw her and and you liked her, was she doing a good job back at City Hall? Like, I think that that it's looking more challenging than it was six months ago for them. Yeah, absolutely. I think when when, uh, Daniel Lurie, one of her opponents, the uh, philanthropist and the uh, uh, Levi Strauss heir, uh, first entered the race, people were like, oh, wow, this is a real big challenge to Breed. But like you're saying, Breed is at her best when she's orating. She's at her best when she's connecting with people one-on-one. And some early reports still vary. He's got time to ramp up, but some early reports we've seen have shown some kind of lukewarm reactions to Daniel Lurie in person. Yeah, I think some of that is really justified in the sense that it's it's always, you know, we hear this from business people, wealthy folks who say like, well, I'm going to run the city like a business or I'm going to whatever, more efficiency. And yeah, it's easier. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Who doesn't want efficiency? Everybody does and accountability. But, it, you know, you have to know how to make that happen. Um, I want to maybe pivot in a minute back to public safety, Marisa, because I know Prop 47 is a big issue that you've been covering. But Guy, I'm wondering down in the South Bay where you are, you've got a big congressional race uh, to replace Anna Eshoo and there are other local races going on. Are these things playing out, do you think, in the same way down there as they are up here? Oh, yeah, definitely. And let's talk about Prop 47 and this criminal justice uh, pendulum, because I think this is going to permeate every legislative race uh, in the Bay Area, throughout California, 
this you know push let's just back. say well, let's just say what prop 47 was a 2014 sure, so ballot it's been measure, 10 yeah. years uh since this ballot measure has been passed by voters sentencing reforms in 2014 that's now under fire in the state legislature as you see lawmakers trying to respond um to retail theft across the state i'll say you know last week i was interviewing a handful of candidates running for state assembly here in the south bay and all of them Demo- all of them democrats all said yes if elected i want to take a look at potentially rolling back parts of Prop 47. And so I think you're seeing this. We've had this decade of criminal justice reform at the Capitol. Does that does the pendulum start to swing in a lot of these races where candidates feel like their only choice is to come out and say, yes, I want to, you know, go after sentencing reforms. But that's an interesting one because they can kind of have their cake and eat it, too. Prop 47 was passed by voters. They can say whatever they want. Voters would have to overturn it. And so I think and the way you hear them talking about it, to your point, Guy, is not a full repeal. Right. It's let's 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 tweak tweak it. it. And so I do think that you're seeing and it took a couple of years for Democrats to kind of get hip to this. But I think you're seeing a little bit of this attempt and again back to Mayor Breed I think you're seeing this in other places as well where you know more progressive type Democrats are like Sure, we can talk about that. Um, I think, you know, the question is going to be what would they actually vote for and what's going to be put forward? Right. And I mean, one thing we saw even last week as the the session started in Sacramento was some Democrats, some progressives kind of being proactive and saying, like, let, let's get out in front of this and put forward changes to 47 that might be more palatable to progressives. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of like drug courts. You know, I think that's a place where even, you know, no matter what side you come at it, you look at the statistics on participation in drug courts and, and diversion programs like that. And maybe that's a place where progressives can come out and say, like, look, we're, we're for changing something, obviously a fine line into, you know, what what those sticks are going to be. Um, well, but- there's also, you know, I think a lot of misinformation, Joe, I know you want to jump in, but about Prop 47, like they'll say things like, oh, you know, now we can't prosecute, uh, you know, property crimes or smash and grabs if they, you know, if they steal anything less than $950, which well, is the just whole not nine, true. The whole, you know, the, the whole limit, $950. I mean, there's states that that number is in the thousands of dollars yeah. and you're not seeing. You yeah. know, so it, it's hard to, to say like that pin exactly what we're seeing in California exactly on any kind of dollar felony misdemeanor threshold limit. And it's also we need to zoom out the lens a little bit too, right? I mean, we're talking about mass incarceration. We're talking about we have to remember where California was when we had prisons that were overcrowded and the situations were Court order. We had to we had to absolutely depopulate. People were dying. Yeah. I mean the the ruling was that a person was dying each day in prison, not because of anything other than inadequate medical care, right? And so I mean I think you're right. And I think we've seen this in San Francisco with a sort of yo yo effect of these uh you know this crack down on drug dealers in places like the Tenderloin, the DA coming out recently going, maybe we can arrest our way out of this problem, which I think a lot of advocates would say, <laughs> told yeah, you so. we told you that. <laughs> um, and so I think that there's a risk here on the right, too, that if, if, if there is a push to go too far, that that pendulum will snap right back. And so I do think that there, again, there's an opportunity um, for thoughtful policymakers, if we have any left. <laughs> well, uh, you're going to be going up to Sacramento to spend time with thoughtful policymakers on Wednesday, Marisa. The governor is going to be unveiling his first draft of the budget for the coming fiscal year. Uh, they've got a $68 billion problem that they're going to have to solve. And as, as Guy, and we've alluded to, Prop 47, public safety is very much a big issue. How do you see that playing out potentially in the budget? Or is it really not so much a budget thing, but more of a policy question? 
Yeah, I feel like there's such a long trickle down or up or however you want to phrase it between, you know, arrest rates, you know, sort of translating into prison sentences. So I would not expect this budget. I mean, there could be some policy things around, you know, theft and, and shoplifting that the governor rolls into this. But I think the big sort of question is this deficit and what are the actual programs they can cut? We've seen prison spending fall. We've seen prisons closing. He will continue that push, I think, regardless of this conversation. But what does it mean for schools? What does it mean um, for public health benefits? There, you know, social safety net. I think that there's a lot of people who are very nervous right now about where the governor is going to take this. Yeah, oh, I go, yeah, I was going to Well, and do that. we see, you know, supporters of, of sentencing reforms lean into the budget piece of this right marisa i yeah, mean like they are the, already yeah in terms of more money for well i mean i think look la- last year i i think it was over a hundred million dollars that the state got from you know prop 47 reform savings on the savings side maybe making the case of like where is that money going to um and looking at looking at it in a budget context maybe that's something you see from progressives who are you know wanting to kind of hold the line on some of these reforms real quick joe i know you're also keeping an eye on the east bay we have uh, the da there pamela price facing a potential recall and now shang tao the mayor may also uh, be uh, in the same boat what are you looking for in the coming weeks and months in terms of what's happening over there and how this issue of public safety could play out sure it's fascinating that it really is some of the same players the same entities that are driving this recall of really both the da and mayor shang tao and one thing that's at play is the new police chief. That's something that is a central... They don't have a new police chief. Wait, what new police chief? (laughs) Exactly, exactly. There's there's police chief names got forwarded to the mayor, and she rejected all of them. According to reports we've seen, the names that got forwarded to her were essentially lame ducks and the former chief Armstrong as kind of a bid to get her to bring him back. So will that happen? I'm looking out for that. All right. We have a lot to look out for. Thank you all so much for being here on day one. Marisa Lagos, Guy Marzarati, Joe Fitzgerald Rodriguez. Thank you all so much. Thank you. All right. That is a wrap for Monday, January 8th. Political Breakdown is a production of KQED in San Francisco. Our engineers are Catherine Monahan and Seal Muller. Our producers are Izzy Bloom and Juan Carlos Lara. Special thanks to Katie Springer, Jorge Olivares, Molly Solomon, and Ethan Toven Lindsay. Until tomorrow, I'm Scott Schaefer here with Marisa Lagos. Thanks for listening. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of The Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast.